Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. going to be down to 10 men. There's a foul here by Thiago and Thiago has been sent off and the game has suddenly taken another dramatic turn. We were sloppy and we did not stop making big mistakes and we were punished hard. So it's a time, big, big loss to, to digest. A look at the watch and a blow of the whistle that confirms Chelsea are in the Champions League semi-finals again. Fourth time lucky they've slain the Wolves. This is Straight Out of the Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, dissecting Saturday's dismembering at the hands of West Brom, Chelsea head to Seville for the second time this season as the Champions League returns. We look ahead to Saturday's derby date at the Palace and reflect on a big week for the women's team. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of the Cobham. Welcome along then to our weekly Chelsea chat. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined by The Athletic's three Chelsea experts. Liam Toomey is here. Hello, pleased to join you for this post-honeymoon edition of Straight Out of Cobham. <laughs> so to Simon Johnson, how are you doing, Simon? Yeah, very well. I've uh, got through some Easter eggs, as per usual. <laughs> uh, Dominic Fifield, hi Dom. Hi Matt, how are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. Uh, later on, the Athletics' Jack Lang will join us to talk all things Porto, but I'm afraid there's only one place we can start today. Livermore, plays it across to Robinson. All these seconds that Alvin have the ball inside the Chelsea half are of enormous value, and they might do better than that because Robinson's there, and it's number five! And West Bromwich Albion are going to win at Chelsea, and they are going to win splendidly and handsomely. Chelsea 2, West Bromwich Albion 5 at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. Surely up there with the biggest shocks in recent memory in terms of Blues defeats. Chelsea a goal up when Thiago Silva was dismissed after receiving a second first half booking and then Chelsea collapsed. Uh, Before we get to the game, let's start with the aftermath. Simon, you've reported for The Athletic on what went down at Cobham on Sunday. Tell us more. Oh, you know, it's your normal Sunday, Matt. You know, nothing, (laughs) nothing's to see here. Um, Look, there was always going to be some kind of fallout, and it started with Thomas Tuchel, um, as I reported, with you know a normal sort of team meeting uh, that that happens up and down the country. But the level of detail from what I'm hearing that, that Thomas Tuchel went into with the video clips of of all that it wasn't just the goals apparently that he replayed; it was phases of play, pointing out lots of uh, mistakes which there were. And it was it was obviously an attempt to sort of you know point out the the failings and to then move on, but as it was described to me, it was like watching a horror show, um, and the players just sat there in silence. <laughs> um, I suppose there wasn't much more they could say really, especially the ones that were involved. But then, of course, what what's really sort of made all the headlines is uh, is the altercation between Kepa and Rudiger, who didn't even play 
of course, on Saturday. But I think it, it sort of highlights the tension that has sort of been felt from that game, probably from watching that game. I mean, Rudiger was one of the most vocal people inside the ground during the game. I mean, it, it, it was it was noticeable how agitated he was. And I can sympathise with him because he's been in great form. He must have been a little bit irked to be left out. Um, but of course, Tuchel's reasoning is that he, he wanted players that have played less during the international break uh, to play because he felt they were sharper. But I think Rudiger, Kepper had had a few words with him during the game that they were playing this small-sided game, which involved the, those players that hadn't featured. They clashed when they went for the same ball. And, and it was quite... Um, whilst it's being downplayed, understandably, I, th- I think it's quite an ugly incident. Now, they, they did sort of part ways on good terms, hugging, etc. But inevitably, it's going to dominate the pre-match preparations for Porto. And certainly, the media will be talking about it in Tuesday's press conference with Tuchel. Liam, do you think it's a, it's a massive issue? I mean, Simon says that, that Tony Rudiger is one of the more vocal members of the squad. Kepa's no, no wallflower either, is he? But neither player played in this game. So, actually, does it do quite a nice job of deflecting from what happened on the pitch on Saturday? I think the way this will be viewed depends entirely on what happens against Porto. If there is the reaction that Tuchel wants, that Chelsea fans expect, and they take control of this quarterfinal tie and get their season back on track, then things like this will be completely forgotten. I remember on the eve of the Europa League final, Gonzalo Higuain and uh, and David Luiz getting into it, um, basically having a tussle on the training pitch and... Maurizio Sarri walking off, tossing his cap to the floor twice as he left an open training session in front of the media. Um, and that dominated the, the evening before the Europa League final. But then Chelsea turned up, absolutely dismissed Arsenal and, and no one talks about it anymore except people like us. So um, that really will condition everything here. I think in isolation, it's not a huge deal. Uh, I wouldn't call it a storm in a teacup either. It's somewhere in the middle. But what happens from here purely depends on how Chelsea play on Wednesday. In terms of Saturday's game then, Dom, AO has tweeted us to ask the pertinent question. The players, the manager, the system, the formation or the ref, where did it go wrong for Chelsea? It's probably a combination of all of those factors, I guess. Yeah, are people actually pinning any blame on the referee? Mm, I thought that was odd too, yeah. Come on. Um, I mean, it just felt like... You can look back at the Sheffield United game just prior to the international window and Chelsea weren't at it particularly that afternoon either and won the match maybe that led that was largely down to Sheffield United's deficiencies that that, that wasn't a sterner test on the on the day West Bromwich Albion should have been similarly vulnerable similarly there for the taking but they've actually played quite well of late they've got a bit more about them a bit more energy they've also got nothing to lose they're, they're in one, one of those clubs that really has to go for everything now and they, they surprised Chelsea, I thought. I think it was the, the sort of urgency. They didn't just sit back and do and sort of recap Sam Allardyce's 19th century defending from a few years back against against when he was West Ham manager against Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. They actually they actually pushed forward and, and pressed Chelsea and, and it seemed to surprise a Chelsea team that, that that did look rusty, that did look slightly disjointed. Thiago Silva was rusty. He's, he, it's amazing that he's had his two worst games for Chelsea against West Bromwich Albion, of all people. I mean, it's just 
bizarre. Chelsea can concede eight goals in a to these opponents this season. It just seems vaguely surreal, but eight of their twenty five goals this season. It's amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? It's, it's a ridiculous statistic, but it's. I, I just think that Chelsea Chelsea weren't at it, and, and we know that this is a season where freakish things happen now and again. You know, Leicester scoring five at the Etihad, Aston Villa hitting Liverpool for seven. Liverpool hitting the best defensive team in the country for seven. Um, you know, it's 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 that type of season. And maybe, just maybe, conceding two goals in fourteen games was also freakish. And we we've actually seen that sort of redressing the balance in in extremes. I mean, that's that's it's not as if Chelsea are going to be conceding five goals at home very often in the weeks ahead either, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, what what I noticed from being inside the ground, I think first and foremost, I, I think attitude was a, the biggest factor. I, I think there was an element of we're on this unbeaten run, this feeling of invincibility. And from minute one, I, I just think that they thought this is going to be an easy stroll. And particularly when, after they went 1-0 up. But if you, if you can think of all the sloppy play, we haven't seen Chelsea play like that under Tuchel yet. I don't think the, the, the sloppy, simple passes. The reason why Silver got sent off was because of Jorginho. Let, let's be honest. Great assist. You know the, the passing he was doing was causing an issue for the back. But I think there were other issues that were flagged up. I think I, I've mentioned it a few times. The the amount of changes that that Tuchel makes game per game. I think primarily to keep people happy. I think that that was always going to be. There was always going to be a game where it might come back to bite him. And I think Saturday was an example of that. Perhaps players that were in genuinely in form should, should be picked. And, and he can only keep doing this sort of mass rotation uh, for so long, in my opinion. I also flagged, I think on this podcast, how Chelsea had, had only trailed in the game for 21 minutes. I think it was Southampton. And the question was, how would Chelsea react in adversity? Because we've seen before under Frank Lampard and Rich Sarri, et cetera, the, the sort of the lack of leadership, the lack of voices when things are going wrong. And it was noticeable once Silver left the pitch that there was a real lack of leaders out there, that there was no one really marshalling. A proper decent team with 10 men shouldn't be conceding five goals. They they should have actually been able to see it out to half-time, 1-0, have the team taught, reorganise, etc. But once things started going wrong, they just didn't seem to be able to react in a positive fashion. And and it it, it did expose, I think, the soft underbelly that's been at Chelsea, not just under Tuchel, but for a few years now. Just to totally agree with what Simon said, Conte, Sarri, Lampard, all in varying terms, talked about the mentality of the squad and how they didn't react well to things going wrong in games. And even when Silver gets sent off, yes, it's a difficult situation. You could argue because of the way Tuchel plays with that pressing system, it's maybe more of an issue to be down to 10 men than it would be if you were playing another style of football. But the game was set up perfectly for them to play on the counter-attack and actually defend against West Brom, force West Brom to play a different type of game to the game they usually play. I think they only had one counter-attack in the end, (laughs) which they promptly screwed up. Um, But it... We've seen these types of collapses before in the space of 10, 15 minutes where Chelsea just go to pieces defensively, where it becomes really passive, really confused. The second goal in particular is an absolute farce. 
Um, you look at how many players are in between Mateus Pereira and the goal, the bottom corner where the ball goes in. And I think it goes through three of them and no one even gets close to getting a block in. We've seen this um, several times before and it, and it's not something you can quantify. Mentality is not something you can quantify, but it is clearly a persistent issue at Chelsea, despite the fact that the squad has changed quite significantly over time. Um, and I'm not quite sure how you solve it. I, I agree with both what Simon and Liam have said, but the shocking thing to me is this has happened against West Bromwich Albion, not against a, a good team. It's happened to against a team that will be relegated this season, that have struggled all year, that, you know, who's even with the, the, the changes that Sam Allardyce has, has made, they've labored in recent weeks that they're, they're, they're not a good side. And I just, of all the sort of shocking elements to Saturday's performance, the fact that it was reserved for this opponent is just baffling to me, and and maybe that maybe that does lend itself to complacency. Maybe that that very much comes into it there. You, you think you're going to roll over the the team that are condemned um, for relegation, um, and that that's if that is the case. If that if that genuinely was, if that had infiltrated Chelsea's approach, then that's pretty damning. Just the final thing to say on this, I think is that there was also an element of, you know, the stars aligning against Chelsea as well. Uh, you can only laugh when a team like West Brom has a, has a shooting day like they had. Every single shot on goal went in and was perfectly placed. The quality of the finishing, particularly from Callum Robinson and Mateus Pereira, was ridiculous. Um, Chelsea haven't finished like that all season. And West Brom have now done it twice against Chelsea. Uh, so... Yeah, there, there was cer certainly a freakish element to this, but we've seen parts of this performance before. Before we move on from, from West Brom, Simon, we've spoken about team selection. Lots of people getting in touch with us saying, are we going to see Billy Gilmore come in for, for Jorginho, who's not getting much love after Saturday, understandably. The, the other one, interestingly, last week we were talking about what a good opportunity this game would be for, for Tammy Abraham to show what he could do, having not been away on international duty. Lo and behold, he doesn't even make the bench. It's not looking good for him. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, we, we have talked about this a few times. Um, it must be hard for Tammy because Timo Werner consistently doesn't perform. I know he came up with an assist for, for Mason Mount, but overall it was another... He, he, he was leading the line and, again, didn't score. And, and if you're Tammy Abraham, and a fit again Tammy Abraham, you, you, you're going to be a little bit upset. Of course, Tuchel's asked about it once again. He sort of said, oh, you know, it was my decision, etc., etc." I... I just don't think he. Um, I just don't think he fancies him at all, and that that's got to be a concern uh, for Tammy Abraham, who, from what I understand, is waiting till the summer to decide on his future. And there will be clubs that will be interested in him. And and if Chelsea sign another centre forward, I think I think we are, which is what they're planning to do. I think we are seeing perhaps the final few months of Tammy Abraham's time at Chelsea. It's as serious as that. Um, as for Billy Gilmore. In my opinion, he's a better player than Jorginho, but he doesn't have the experience of Jorginho. And that is the main reason why he's being left out and will probably continue to be so, even though Jorginho was the main culprit, I would say, for Saturday's performance. Or certainly for setting the setting the wheels in motion for what went wrong. 
Well, we're recording the pod before West Ham play Wolves on Monday night, so hopefully Wolves can do Chelsea a favour in the same way that Newcastle did on Sunday. And and if nothing else, you know, in these strange times, it's comforting at least to see the return of the manager of the month curse, uh, <laughs> and we'll leave West Bromwich Albion there. Chelsea don't have long to wait till their next game. We'll preview the first leg of the Champions League quarterfinal next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Wednesday, Chelsea returned to the Estadio Ramon sanchez Pijuan for the second time as they face Porto in the away leg of their Champions League quarter-final. Both legs of the tie have been moved to Spain because of COVID travel restrictions. Joining us to discuss the game is the Athletics' own Jack Lang, who knows a thing or two about Portuguese football. Uh, Jack, in England, the, the perception is that Chelsea got the plum draw. How did Porto feel when, when they drew the Blues? I think there's, there's recognition that the change of coach... I mean prior to what happened at the weekend against West Brom, of course. But yeah, I think I think they would have fancied a, a, a Lampard-Chelsea a bit more than a Tuchel-Chelsea. But obviously, I think Porto understood that they were going to be underdogs in any tie, really, whoever they drew. So I don't think... Uh, I, I suppose Chelsea's kind of in the middle of what they could have got. It's better than a couple of draws, but you know, I'm sure they'd prefer Chelsea to, to Manchester City or Bayern Munich. But at the same time... Yeah, recognition that it's probably not going to be easy and they, they have to produce something like their best to uh, to progress. So in terms of their game plan then, is it, is it going to be the same blueprint that they, they employed to get past Juventus in the last round? Yeah, I think so. So it's, it's quite a, a stodgy safety first approach, very much in the image of, of Sergio Conceição, the manager, kind of a, uh, an obstinate guy, likes to, likes to keep things tight can be a bit tetchy on the touchline and, and the team really kind of operates in a in a similar manner I would say um, kind of they'll, they'll play fairly deep two banks of four there'll be a slight change in this first leg because the the Iranian striker Mehdi Taremi is suspended so then they normally play two kind of number nines up front one of them drops back or, or kind of moves to the flank they take in turns defending but here they won't be able to do that so it'll be interesting to see how he replaces Taremi maybe with another forward, maybe with a an extra midfielder even to keep things even tighter. But it will be, yeah, kind of coax Chelsea onto them and potentially try and hit them on the counter. But it, it's worth noting against Juve, they did play very well, but the tie really changed because they were gifted a goal very early on, which allowed them to play in that way. Um, so if Chelsea score first, for example, it's going to be a, a whole different ball game that they're going to have to open up a bit. And I think they will find that more difficult. 
You mentioned Mehdi Taremi. Sergio Oliveira also suspended. How significant are those two absences? Yeah, Taremi, I just touched on, but I think Oliveira is is the really big one. He's probably been their player of the season. Very strange career he's had. He's kind of come and gone from Porto. I think he's 28 now and he's only really uh, kind of establishing himself as as a, a guaranteed name in their midfield, broke into the Portugal squad properly now as well. And previously had been on loan. I mean, even under Sergio Conceição, he kind of went out on loan a couple of years ago. So he really is only establishing himself as a key player now. But he's been been superb this season. Kind of an all-action central midfielder, a bit creative, but can can put himself about as well. Takes all the dead balls, scoring a lot of goals from midfield. He's, he's their top scorer. Um, and yeah, he will be a massive, massive loss. He was fantastic against Juventus. And uh, I think he'll probably be the bigger loss than Taremi, I'd say, here. And what about Malang Sarr on, on loan to Porto from Chelsea? Fair to say he's had a, a mixed season so far. Yeah, I, I spoke to a, a friend of mine who covers Porto out there a few days ago. For We, we published a piece on Sarr on The Athletic, um, I think late last week or over the weekend. And and he said, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of impressed in flashes. He had a good little run in the side before Christmas, but he's essentially the fourth choice centre-back now. I mean, he, he, he's not going to get past Pep and uh, Chancellor Mbemba, the former Newcastle player. They're the first choice. And then there's another guy, Diogo Leic, ahead of him. So kind of fairly far down the pecking order. He can fill in at full-back as well, but they don't really need him there either. So I would suggest it's kind of been a, a bit of a mixed bag in terms of his experience. Has played some big games, played against Man City, of course, in the Champions League. Played very well in that game. But in terms of uh, you know sheer sheer minutes played, I think unless he has a real run in the team between now and the end of the season, he'll probably head back to Chelsea, uh, thinking this was maybe not the most progressive year of his career. Finally, then Jack, uh, who's going through in your opinion? Uh, well, it depends if Porto been on the phone to Sam Allardyce, of course. But I, <laughs> I, I do think that that I, I see that as probably an aberration from Chelsea and. In terms of in terms of personnel, I think they're a lot a lot stronger than Porto. Uh, Chelsea also are a lot kind of a lot more organised than Juventus. Where I mean Juventus, I, I mean I know that was a an upset really because of how fancied they were compared to Porto. But really in terms of in terms of organisation and and tactical discipline, Porto uh, were, were streets ahead of Juve. There, I don't think that will be the case against Chelsea. I think Chelsea will be will be a much tougher proposition. And, uh, you know, if Chelsea gift Porto an early goal, then it could be similar. But Juve really did give them a couple of gifts and Porto profited from that. Um, Whether they can go toe-to-toe in open play if Chelsea score first, I think I have my doubts. Jack Lang there, read him only in The Athletic. Uh, Simon, lots of people wanting to know about the status of Angola Kante for this game. Uh, it's going to be touch and go as to whether he makes it, I think. Yeah, I mean, Tuchel, Tuchel effectively said he didn't expect him to be back, which um, is a significant blow. Um, it's typical. Kante finally finally starts getting the kind of form that makes me uh, put my car into reverse and say, no, he can't be sold. Um, but, but one of the things that I'd flagged it when I was sort of raising it as a, as a suggestion. I wasn't campaigning for it, Dom. Um, <laughs> w- was because of um, 
his injury issues ever since the Europa League final. And it is a worry that he keeps sort of having these little niggles um, which rule him out and upset his his progress. But more importantly for Chelsea, I just think it's it, it's a seismic blow, particularly after after what we saw at the weekend. I mean, wouldn't it be a, you know a massive boost for the squad to know that Conte is coming back in uh, for a game of this magnitude? One would suspect that that Tuchel will keep with Jorginho and, and, and Kovacic, but I would much I'd be much sort of um, I'll be able to watch the game with a bit more. In a bit more of a relaxing fashion if Conte was on the pitch. I think the aim is for the second leg. I think that's the op- the optimistic thing. But the thing is with hamstrings is they do tend to take a while to recover from and will he break down again? That, that's got to be a, a real worry for Tuchel. Two other big selection issues, I think, for Chelsea around this game, Liam. Olivier Giroud, does he get a start? And and Thiago Silva was half an hour on Saturday enough to persuade Thomas Tuchel that he's ready to play in a game of this magnitude. Well, I think the idea was to give him some minutes, a few more than 30, um, to, get, to get back into some rhythm. He, he did look a bit off the pace against West Brom, but you know he was put in positions where that was always going to happen. It's, it's an interesting decision now, isn't it? Because Andreas Christensen's been playing really well. He, he didn't against West Brom, but his recent form has been really good. And, and him with that unit, with Rudiger and Azpilicueta, has worked just as well as Silva with Rudiger and Azpilicueta. So that's one that, that Tuchel's going to have to think long and hard about. Up front, Giroud has enjoyed playing at the Ramon sanchez Pithuan. Apologies. Well you said it better than I did, yeah. Um, this season. <laughs> and and of course, he, he had a nice game against Atletico as well in the away leg, the, the goal that broke open the tie for Chelsea. I think Chelsea's attack has, has looked best overall with Kai Havertz up front as the false nine. Just things are a little bit more fluid um, and the combinations are a bit better. But it, it it depends what type of performance Tuchel is looking for. I think if he if he thinks that he they're going to pin Porto back for long spells and he needs someone to be, as he says, decisive in the final 20 metres, then it's clear he believes in Giroud to be that man more than anyone else in this squad, certainly more than Tammy Abraham. But if he wants Chelsea to play a little bit more you know, more more in terms of the link up around the box and fluid movement to try and pick holes in Porto, then I think Havertz would be a better option. And it seems like he, he wants to stick with Werner regardless at the moment. I, I find it odd again. I know I know this has become a sort of a my creed occur every, about this time every year where, where Olivier Jury never gets a game. He's made one start for Chelsea since February. And that was in, against Sheffield United in the in the FA Cup. And this is after you know, scoring against Newcastle and scoring the winner at Atletico Madrid. It just, I'm, I'm not going to suggest that, that Olivier Giroud has a long, long-term future at, at Chelsea Football Club. I'm sure Chelsea would love to get a younger, talented forward on the books in the summer. But if you've got a player of his quality and his calibre, surely you should use him. Um, or use him more effectively than they're doing. I, I, I think it's almost, it's almost got to the stage now where it, though, that if they flung him in against Porto midweek from the start, it's almost unfair because he's 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 going to be rusty like everybody else is. And, and you're, you're almost asking your team to play a different way as well when he, when he, when he starts now than they have been over the last few weeks. I, I, I think he might have backed himself into a bit of a corner, a bit like his predecessor did over Olivier Giroud, Thomas Tuchel there. So interesting one. And, and on the defence, Thiago Silva now suspended for the 
you know, the biggest game of the week at Sellers Park on Saturday. Isn't there a logic in, I mean, he's only played 30 minutes. Presumably you have to play him now midweek. I mean, he is a player with all the, the Champions League experience, the the pedigree. That was one of the reasons he was brought in. This is We saw him coaching from the sidelines in the previous round. It means so much to him. Uh, and, and, okay, he was rusty, but as Liam and Simon have pointed out, he was put in difficult positions by his teammates against West Bromwich Albion. So maybe that isn't necessarily a true reflection of where he's at in terms of form and rhythm. And I'll ask the question to see to the other guys, because then I don't have to answer it myself. But but what happens with Antonio Rudiger? Is there any chance that a an altercation on the training ground on a Sunday that necessitates him being sent in early jeopardises his selection in midweek against against Porto? Uh, well, we'll see what happens in the coming days, but I think it's certainly a, another decision to make for Tuchel. That's true. All eyes on the Chelsea Twitter feed at around about seven o'clock when the team sheet drops on Wednesday. First leg of that quarterfinal kicks off at 8pm UK time. The return is on Tuesday of next week. That's the 13th of April. Uh, There's another Chelsea game scheduled for before we next meet. We'll preview the Dom Derby next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Chelsea make the short but often bafflingly complicated trip to Selhurst Park on Saturday as they face Crystal Palace in the tea time kickoff. Palace player Everton after we record on Monday. Dom, regardless of the result, they're, they're safely tucked in mid-table. Are you happy with, with how this season's unfolded? Um, Yeah. I mean, yeah. For a club like Crystal Palace, in the middle of a pandemic, to basically be safe, to have probably been safe in February, in all honesty, um, is probably satisfactory. I, I don't think they've played particularly attractive football en route and there are a lot of issues to be decided at Celeste Park in the summer, not least the, the future of the management and half the playing squad are out of contract. But I approach it very much along the lines of I'm grateful that Palace are in this division and, and uh, if they stay for a ninth year, which would be unprecedented in, for their club, I'd, I'd be more than happy. 
And presumably Jeff Schlupp will be crucial to Saturday's game. Well, it's interesting you, you should say that. I'm just waiting for Schluppy to, <laughs> to 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 wound Chelsea so that I can just wipe that smirk off Toomey's <laughs> face. Um, look, look, it's he he hasn't he's he's returned from injury. The thing about Schlupp, and, and I know it's become a bit of a running gag on this podcast, is he's one of the few players at Palace that has got any pace. Him and Zaha, that's about it. So. Although the rest of the division has this impression that Crystal Palace are a great counter-attacking team, they're really not because they don't run very quickly. And the, and the other thing, of course, with Palace is they, they, they're sort of known for their stingy defence, and yet they've got I think they've got the third worst defensive defensive record in the division this season. So, you know, again, it's another game that you look at and think Chelsea on form prevail. Chelsea on form enjoy their their latest trip to Sellers Park and and. And in all honesty, that's what they've done for for most seasons over this nine year spell. Um, I think there was a John Terry own goal one year, and then Hodgson Hodgson beat them in his first for his first victory in 2017. But other than that, Chelsea, I think, have won every single trip to to Sellers Park. I think, Si, is that right? I think that's that's probably five out of the accurate. last six in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So I mean, it's on paper. I can't believe you. I can't believe you went to Simon rather than Matt for stats. <laughs> I went to Simon because he's he, he usually just he usually just messages me after after Chelsea <laughs> Palace games with a little smirk and a smiley face and thanks very much. So <laughs> just a couple of quick things. What one? I can't believe you didn't call it El Domico. That's what, that's what I'm going to be calling it on Twitter. Uh, and the other thing is, Dom. In my mind, Crystal Palace's squad consists entirely of centre backs and fast wingers. Yeah, That's... well, you see, your mind is stuck in 2017, probably, 2017, 18. Yeah. It's, it really doesn't. I mean, it consists of Gary Cahill, who has played very, very well of late um, <laughs> since his pep talk from Simon Johnson, and and, an, and a midfielder playing centre-half full season in Czech Coyote. They don't, they don't have a lot of options there that are fit, and they have no quick wingers. I mean, Andrews Townsend, just watch him running now. Unfortunately, it's uh, ages caught up with him. He's a very clever player, and he's industrious and puts in a real shift you know he leads you know he leads the entire premier league in tackles per 90 minutes this season well, there you go puts attempted in tackles and completed tackles he's the only <laughs> winger in like the top 50 i don't understand what's going and on he's not even that he's not even a regular the one player that i would i would urge chelsea fans to to look out for um is that who has been excellent um in flashes in games and I, I don't. I don't anticipate Josie having too many problems at, at Sellers Park, but but if you give Eze some space, he will glide into it and glide away from a defender very, very subtly and effectively. Um, he's he's quite a he's quite eye catching to to watch, and it's not an explosive pace. It's not like a Zaha esque pace, or a, it's it's subtle movement, and he suddenly you look up and suddenly he's ten yards away from you when you you thought you had him under control. But but really, realistically speaking, it's a it's a Chelsea win waiting to happen at the moment. Well, the reverse fixture was pretty comfortable. Four 0 at Stamford Bridge in October. Um, Simon Benchilwell got got his first Chelsea goal in that game. You were the man who who broke the story of his move to the Blues uh, over the back end of last season. How do you think he's done? Um, up and down, I think it's fair to say. I don't think he would have expected to to spend most of the second half of the season on the bench. I think overall uh, he's done. He's been pretty good, but there's no doubt that since Tuchel arrived, he's had a bit of a tougher time. Although he acknowledged that he hadn't been in great form just before that in the latter stage of the Lampard era, but I still think he's been a good signing. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if he faces Porto, especially after the way Alonso played against uh, um, against West Brom. Um, I think Alonso reminded everyone of his deficiencies, sadly. Something about West Brom, you talk about Thiago Silva, something about <laughs> West Brom for Marcus Alonso as well. He might as well have got on the bus uh, the second half uh, for a second time. But no, I think getting back to Chilwell, I think look, he, he had a very good international break as well for England. It was quite significant that he played two of the three games. So overall, it's positive. But I, I quickly, because he's not had enough of a mention, it was a very fleeting reference to Gary Cahill. We're talking about <laughs> leaders. Talk about leaders. Well, there's one that Chelsea let let slip through their fingers after his uh, disgraceful treatment for, by Antonio Conte. Um, he, uh, yeah, I, I don't think Chelsea would have imploded quite as badly on Saturday if Gary Cahill was in the lengths. He, he would have, he'd have had a few words for people that that day. That's for sure. He'd have flexed his guns. That's it. That's it. Who wants to mess with those? For those of you playing straight out of Cobham Bingo at home, we've had Simon bigging up Gary Cahill and Liam suggesting that Kai Havertz is the answer to Chelsea's <laughs> striking deficiencies. He can tick those off your card. That Palace game gets underway <laughs> at 5.30 on Saturday. Drinking game. <laughs> right, elsewhere in Chelsea news, Chelsea women enjoyed one of the best results in the club's European history last week as they secured their place in the Champions League semi-final. A 3-0 second leg win against Wolfsburg took the Blues through to the last four after a 5-1 and Win. I, I said it at the end of the game, people like Drew and Hannah, Carly, myself, Paul, we've been here from the beginning and we've had to lose eight times in the past to that team. So I know how it feels. So to make the progress we've made and showing the investment the club's made in all of us is, I think, probably the biggest win in Chelsea's history. Chelsea played Bayern Munich in the semis later this month. Um, Liam, that result felt significant, not just because of the fact that they got through to the last four, but finally beating Wolfsburg and, and the manner in which they did it. They rode their luck at points during the tie, but you look at the final score and it's it's emphatic. Yeah, they were, they were really ruthless, um, which is a strange word to associate with the Chelsea team these days, but they were really, really ruthless in the final third. Um, and they look... They look clinical enough and good enough to win this competition now against the very best teams. Psychologically, that that was absolutely massive. And I could understand why Emma Hayes was keen to talk it up so much because Wolfsburg have been their nemesis in this competition more than any other team. Um, they've ended Chelsea's European adventures year after year. I know it was Leon the last time. And Leon are still the the ultimate goal. They are the, the ones that have ruled Europe, but Wolfsburg have tormented Chelsea for a long time. Um, Penila Harder, I think her her switch from Wolfsburg to Chelsea has has helped shift that balance of power as well. She got in on the goals, and yeah, they they just look like they've got the balance, they've got the experience. I think in Emma Hayes, they've got now a, a better European coach than she was even a few years ago. I think she's got more tactical plans. She was talking about you know devising plans D, E, and F the night before the game, the second leg, and she will, I'm sure. As someone who, with Katie Wyatt, was invited into her office once and saw her shifting around tactical counters and talking us through how she'd play Leon, I'm sure she'll be doing plenty of that um, in the coming days. Um, if Chelsea falls short this time, it won't be for for lack of planning. 
Yeah, in terms of domestically, uh, Chelsea followed up that Wolfsburg game with a 6-0 hammering of Birmingham in the league on Sunday. Sam Kerr-Hattrick, two from Frank Kirby and Aguro, right and goal. It means that the Blues are two points clear at the top of the WSL. Their next game is the fourth round of the FA Cup at home to London City Lionesses. That's this coming Sunday. And meanwhile, on Friday, the men's under-18s put their place in the fifth round of the FA Youth Cup after a hard-fought 2-0 win over non-league AFC filed at Kings Meadow. Took Chelsea till a couple of minutes after the restart to go ahead, courtesy of Brian Fiabema. Uh, ben Elliott then thumped in a second shortly after to mean Lewis Bates' penalty miss didn't matter much. Chelsea play Everton in the fifth round after they upset Man City, who beat Chelsea in last season's final. Should Chelsea get through that, they'll play Spurs in the quarters. And the under-23s take on West Ham this Tuesday evening. You can watch that via the usual Chelsea platforms. That'll just about do it for us this week. Before we go, let's see what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Dom, you've been back on Mourinho Watch. Yep, I watched uh, covered the Spurs game at Newcastle on Sunday and listened to Jose. Um, don't really know how to say he didn't really throw them under the bus as much, but... But he still seems to be working along the assumption that 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 his methods will always work, and they're not. If I'm honest, things aren't right at Tottenham. They don't they don't feel right. They don't look right. Fifteen points thrown away from winning positions this season, and another opportunity to leapfrog Chelsea spurned at the weekend. It just feels as if that um, experiment. It's sort of gone into the, that grim stage that we're all very familiar with, but without the associated success first um, this time around. Can I just also point our subscribers to the piece that Liam wrote last week on Malang Saar um, ahead of the, the, the Porto game? I don't know whether Saar will be playing in midweek, but it's a good little insight into Chelsea's low knee in, in Portugal at the moment and, and what he might offer at some point in the future at Stamford Bridge. And Liam, that's not the only Chelsea loney you've been writing about. You teamed up with uh, Steve Madeley to, to have a look at what next for Conor Gallagher. Yeah, West Brom didn't even need him uh, the weekend, but he's been one of their best players this season. I think Chelsea are really, really pleased with his progress. And um, so part of that piece was just kind of putting his season into context and part of it was talking about the summer to come. And nothing really is decided with him yet. I get the impression he's pretty open. Uh, in terms of what will happen next. There's there's a chance that he could come in, get an opportunity in pre-season because there probably will be a pre-season this year, unlike last year, um, to actually make an impression on Thomas Tuchel. And if he doesn't, if Chelsea decide to send him out again, people I spoke to don't really expect him to be sold. I think it would be another Premier League loan. Um, but if that is the case, I think he would be targeting a top half Premier League club a club that wins more than more than it loses and has the ball a bit more than than West Brom generally do when they're not playing Chelsea. Um so, so not a not a team that are 12th in the division at the moment then. Well, I mean oh, no, Palace you were my week. Palace were listed in the article as a club that have expressed interest, but there there's that is a pretty long list of Premier League clubs Correct. and I think I think it, the the type of midfielder he is he would be a good fit in an awful lot of places. So I think um, he's a good asset for Chelsea long-term. He could potentially be a, a good squad player either as soon as next season or beyond. So he's he's definitely someone to keep an eye on. Yeah, going to be interesting to see what happens to him. Um, Simon, we mentioned your scoop on the fallout from Saturday's game. What else have you got planned for this week? Well, actually, one, one of the pieces is something we've touched on in this podcast 
which is the Thiago Silva debate um, whether he he should play on Wednesday. So I'll be sort of developing that theme a bit further than Dom did, but he has stolen my thunder a little bit. <laughs> As per usual. <laughs> um, yeah, talking about pieces that are also up on the site. Dom, you've got a very surprised, <laughs> stunned just, look on your face. I'm wounded. <laughs> Well, hopefully you're wounded on Saturday. Uh, uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> um, hilarious. So um, there's also a, there's also a piece on get Ross back to Bar- selling Conte. <laughs> there's also a piece about Ross Barkley that I uh, just want to flag, which I did with um, our Villa guy Greg Evans and uh, analytics guy uh, Mark Carey, and just once again we're back in this. What does the future hold for him? And I noticed he didn't even come off the bench at the weekend. And the previous four games had only been used as a sub. This is the loan deal which started so well for everyone because you can imagine Chelsea were thinking this could be a win-win situation. He either plays his way into the kind of form that makes him a, a genuine candidate for Chelsea's team in the future or he plays so well that they can get a good transfer fee for him. But at the moment, it's actually becoming a lose-lose situation. Um, he, he's not clearly going to be good enough, one would suspect, for Tuchel, the way he's been playing. And he's not going to get a big transfer fee if he's sitting on the bench, not even playing for a team like Aston Villa. No no uh, offence intended there. So, um, so yeah, I, I've delved into um, his, uh, his situation. And um, as I've just pretty much said, it's not looking good for him yet again. And at 27, you do sort of fear that his potential will never be realised. Yeah, similarities with him and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I guess. Uh, Theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod, the place to go to sign up if you're not currently a subscriber. Many thanks to Liam, Simon and Dom for their company today and to producer Lucy as well, but mainly to you, listener. We'll be back next week. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic.